Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. Our podcasts are on, of course, the homepage of richarddugan.com as well as the radio shows page and on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. Folks are reposting many of these interviews, and we thank you for doing that. We greatly appreciate that. I can't get to them all. I am virtually a one-man band here, have been doing it for Unbelievable, folks. 13 years. We are in our 13th. We're into our 14th year. We just celebrated our 13th anniversary, if you will. Very auspicious. I love it. I love it. And uh, we are here to uh, give you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We're also talking to you about 2020, the year of perfect vision, inner vision, going within to talk, to, to get in touch with that still small voice, that that higher self, whatever you want to call it, that guides you from day to day and uh, takes you to places that you never thought you'd go. It's always going to, uh, well, I shouldn't say always, it's going to challenge you from time to time, will never put you in harm's way, but is there to inform you, to inspire you, uh, to enlighten you, but also to give you that peace and that calm that we are all looking for here in 2020 as we are uh, fast approaching uh, the uh, uh, end of the uh, third quarter of this uh, of this year as we converse here with our guest today, who is absolutely, I could not believe this when I saw the title of the book and the author, right on target, as you as as it were, with what we are doing here in 2020. And I, I have to say first as as I bring my my guest on that, I started thinking, you know, this year's going to fly by. What am I going to do in 2021? Well, I solved that problem. We're going to continue to promote uh, perfect vision, but it's going to be the 2020s, plural, the decade of the 2020s, the year, the decade of perfect vision. So uh, don't worry. I, I came up with a solution. I'll deal with the 3030s in 10 years. Okay. Right now, let's deal with and bring on to the program Aaron McCormick, who has written a book entitled Unbounded Journey to Your Within. See, I told you this guy is on it. And I want to thank you, Aaron. It's great to have you on the program. I'm very excited about getting into the work that you're doing. Hey, Richard, I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to it. First of all, uh, tell us a little bit about Aaron in terms of his background, your background, uh, we like to touch upon on this program, we like to touch upon uh, our guests' uh, philosophical growth. Uh, if that means going back to childhood where this is what you were raised on, this is how you were told to think and believe and behave and so forth, and then over the years, maybe there was a transformation, maybe it was just fine what you were told as a child was has been working for you up to this moment maybe you found some new things to incorporate tell us a little bit about the philosophy of uh of Aaron McCormick from er, from an early age uh, from maybe the first moment you became aware that you even had a philosophical perspective or or uh, leaning beliefs and so forth Well, it's interesting that you mentioned my beginnings and the things that we've all been taught how you were raised, because I actually believe that what we are 
is impervious to that. The real version of what we are, the higher self version, that voice you kept alluding to at the outset, is pretty much impervious to the external uh, stimulus around it. But our mind is what absorbs and consumes everything that we're taught, learned, uh, and kind of absorbed through our families and our friends and pop culture, our country, our sex, our race, all these different things. And I guess what's what I've noticed about me as I've looked back on my life and even as part of deciding to conceive of this book is that that force has always been uh, actively at the forefront in my life, which is why my life has been so wild in some people's estimation. When you think about the, the, the uh, initial decisions made along my career, despite the area I was raised in. So I ended up in technology raised on the south side of Chicago, uh, very urban areas. I had good friends that were gangbangers. People didn't go to college. I also had some of the other side. So I had you know, plenty of white, not necessarily affluence, but middle class. So there was poverty along with middle class. And uh, so it was a kind of interesting mix in high school, but I was a bit of an anomaly uh, on multiple fronts, both in high school and then in my, in my career. And then the anomalies just kept going from there. We'll get into those probably as we go. But I guess the basic philosophy, Richard, is my uh, what life has shown me through my own experience and through the observation of others and just looking at the journey through the whole uh, continuum of our existence, uh, at least in human form, is that uh, we, we come in with our initial spark or essence, aura, that's that higher self, if you will, and that thing knows what it came here to do. It knows that it came here to experience the gamut of what human, human life is. One thing that religion is really consistent about across all religions and across history is that source or God is this ubiquitous force. It's this energy that ties everything that has created everything and that we are a part of that force. So almost regardless whether you're Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, you name it, there are some similarities there and if we were that force, if we are one with that force, as all religion tends to talk about, then that means at some point we are infinite and we are just ubiquitous energy. And we choose to incarnate or disperse ourselves into 8 billion or however many that we are out there to experience various things. And so if, if that's true, then when you come to Earth, you're going to, you know, you're supposed to experience limitation. You're supposed to experience Pain. You have to experience a measure of darkness because in that pure source form, there is none of those things. So uh, it, um, I, I've, I've seen how the perfection of our journeys are unique to each of us. Perfection meaning you go to a horror movie. I don't personally, but when people go to a horror movie, they go to be scared. And when you go to, uh, to Six Flags, you're going to roller coaster to be scared. And sometimes you're saying to yourself, why am I, you know, as you're going up, you're like, why did I do this kind of thing? Uh, but you, you wanted that feeling or you work out and you get super sore and it hurts, but yet you keep poking on the muscle that's sore. It's like, it hurts good. So <laughs> at an oversoul level, um, everything is everything in the sense that it all enhances the soul's expansion or learning of what's it like to go from, you know, infinite light, uh, and even dare I say joy, if there's emotion in that state, I don't know, we won't know till we all pass. But, um, but everything has kind of shown me not through rhetoric, right, not through 
uh, somebody else's belief system. It's through my own intuition and experience and serendipities and uh, everything from numerology and just, just so many different things that have shown this to be a truth for me. Um, and so you, just like you said at the outset, you got to connect with that higher self. And uh, when we're ready to go into my specific earthly background, you asked about my philosophy. Uh, so that's the, that's the philosophy that it all serves us and we're all connected. Um, and the key is how do we get consciously in touch with that unconscious force that's always really been the most powerful thing. Even science says 90% of our thought is unconscious. So that's, this is a truism. This is not somebody's opinion. The question is, how do we become more aligned with that force and surrender to it, if you will? When did you become aware of these various aspects of your present day philosophy? I mean, was this something that your parents uh, taught you from an early age or did you discover this along the way? Oh, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> My <laughs> parents divorced when I was three or four years old. So I was raised by a single mom and I was born into a high control religious cult, dare I say. It's Christian and uh, cult sometimes scares people. It's nothing like drinking literal Kool-Aid or uh, crazy stuff like that. But yeah. it is very separatist and it is very uh, totalitarian form of governance where if you disbelieve or you change your mind, you're out. Kind of like Scientology, but you know, it's Christian based. Mm -hmm. So ironically, I was born into a paradigm of complete uh, boxiness, if you will. You are literally in a box in your, uh, who you're able to associate with, the entertainment you take in, everything from facial hair to playing sports, to getting a college degree, to marrying or uh, being with people that are not in that faith. I mean, it's highly boxy. So it's ironic that I was born in one of the most extreme versions of religion which many celebrities, ironically, uh, have uh, that we've heard of have had similar stories from the Jacksons uh, to to the Williams sisters were in this particular religion. I uh, don't know if they still are, but most people don't consci consciously leave it or go on record as leaving it for the things I just mentioned. You lose everything. You lose everything you've ever come to know. All the people you've loved, they cut you off. And this is all supposedly scriptural based uh, about when you choose to no longer believe. So that. That is what I've come up in. So I definitely didn't learn how to be in touch with my higher self when you're in a, a situation where it's all about adhering to a set of rules and expectations. Then, of course, you have the, you know, the realities of our physical differences, or at least how the world is focused on them, both in the 70s when I was born um, on through now, where it's in extreme uh, tumultuous state around race. Uh, so, you know, you have uh, expectation that blacks marry blacks and whites marry whites and you are you are to act and be this monolithic thing or you're less of your race. Uh, and I've always been a bit of a bridge. Right. So to answer your question, I am a bridge both. And by the way, when I talk about me, I really don't want the focus of the listener to be about me because I, I hope it's an example of how you connect these various little things about yourself that telegraph something about you that you've not consciously recognized and you then would start to you know heed it and and do something with it so in my case richard i am both ambidextrous physically but in a very strange way uh, by the way are you hearing me good i'm hearing you great speaking okay. of ambidextrousism <laughs> i have a sister a younger sister uh who um 
I don't know why they did this when I was a kid growing up, but we had a very large dining room table. There were six kids and our two parents, and uh, they put me next to my ambidextrous sister. And so every so often we'd have a little elbow uh, confrontation. <laughs> but um, but all in all, we, we've always gotten along. It, it is fascinating to me how individuals such as yourself uh, find themselves in a situation, in a, um, uh, a place where the philosophy is, not, is no longer serving them, and then they must weigh the pros and cons. If I stay, it's going to be the same as it has been as long as I've been alive. If I go, it's going to completely upend my apple cart and I'm literally going to be starting over almost as if I had been, if I may use the phrase, almost as if I had been born again, rebirthed, okay? And you made that choice, obviously. You said, I can't do this anymore. And... I'm willing to make that choice to deal with those, shall we say, consequences and go about living my life. Uh, Because if I stay, I'm not going to be living my life. Is that a fair assessment? No, that's totally right. And um, and part of what I was getting at in, in your question of when did I become aware, consciously aware of my higher self or these philosophies you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. I think they've always been there. And as for all of us, they're there and they're popping up in little ways, but you're right. There's a, there's a point where you fully get it. And that was, um, that be, and it came in waves. So I can't say a specific, cause I'm still expanding, right? We all are, but I guess, uh, sometime, around 2015 is uh, that's the year that I decided to leave. I mean, that's the year that I, it's, I don't know why this year is so, was so, I guess, in on the human plane, so significant in literally every way. It's my first seven figures in 12 months in business. I uh, got my, my MBA. I don't have an undergrad, but I graduated with an MBA in 15. Um, I had my first child. I'm a car guy. I've loved cars all my life since I was a baby. I got my first Italian supercar in 15, <laughs> and I completely awakened and realized that what I was in, what I thought was this great thing that was good for humanity and good for the planet and, uh, you know, service to our creator was actually, uh, you know, manipulating um evil, if you will, at the source of it. Mm-hmm. Now, the people in it mean no harm. And as I did in all my life, 39 years or however long I was in it, um, but but I, I realized what it was. But what's interesting, Richard, is I have had conflict with things about it my entire life. I mean, I decided to get baptized in it at 12. And even then I had conflict with universal things inside of me about humanity empathy uh that that was that didn't jive with this very rigid sort of way of of um operating and seeing things um but also if you look back on my life in every aspect i tended to 
follow the heart a bit more than might be typical. And what's interesting is that that's evident also in the, uh, you know, we think about a left-handed person, they say more creative, uh, more artistic. So we, we have these two big organs, physically, heart and mind, the most, the two most significant organs, right? Brain surgery, heart surgery. Mm -hmm. And figuratively, same thing. The heart is the spirit. That's that connection to your higher self or to source. That's that unspoken voice, intuition, if you will. And then you have the mind, which is the learned things that we've all taken in since we were children. Well, the more you are in touch with your heart, the more congruent you will be. Now you will have challenges, which is why every single person that is, you know, to, to use a, you know, a business or worldly term or whatever, self-made, but that does not mean in money context only. I mean, they're actuated, they are animated by their true north, as mm -hmm. opposed to uh, by somebody else's or external societal sort of ideals. But every person that is uh, self-made in that context, self-actuated, um, and they usually are fulfilled, regardless of their net worth, um, they've gone through a huge, they've got incredible stories because the world around us is exerting so much force. And, and, and what, with that force comes fear of going against that force because there are consequences. Uh, so when we hear of all these stories of uh, inspirational figures or presidents in the past or um, famous entertainers or whoever they are, um, you, you wind up hearing their background, you go, wow, they went through all that? But then it, 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 when you think about it, it doesn't shock because if you're so drawn or you're so inspired or their vibe seems so high, mm -hmm. now it's because they've carried this load, if you will. They've, their spiritual or energetic muscles are on a different level because they've had to, they've, whatever, for whatever reason, they followed their truth and they've, they've carried the brunt of what it means to go against what our collective humanity may think should be the case of your career or leaving your family. Like a lot of people say, man, how did you do that? Why would you do that? How could you be happy? Your mom has not even met your two children. You know, none of your family knows. Mm. Are you happy? And I'm like, I am happier than I could possibly be. And I hold zero bitterness for them because I really do believe it is their responsibility to live whatever their truth is, if they're not in conflict, if that's their holistic truth, I would never want my mom or family to water down their strong belief system, their truth, to give my children a grandma and then have trouble sleeping at night because of their conscience or have trouble looking in the mirror. They have to be whole. The, the real sin is when you're not whole and, and that's where we have, you know, frankly, unfulfilled experiences in relationships and career across the board when when we're not whole but we we think we're outwardly whole uh and at some point we're either going to wake up when we're either much older uh, and i'll make this last point there richard speaking of waking up much older it's like on the two bookends of life when we're babies mm -hmm. we follow our truth we grunt when somebody's trying to take away our rattle our joy our rattler or our joy or whatever <laughs> We don't, we don't want any parts of that. When, if they try to control us too much, we don't want that. If they look away and don't pay us any attention, that's a problem because we want to be noticed. We want to be seen. We want our soul or we want to be you know, aware. We want people to be aware of us. We don't want to be controlled. When we get much older, same thing, right? We are 
not we're less likely to be trying to please others. Yeah. We have, we, we're doing ourselves, but it's that mi huge middle portion, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, where we're following every single external expectation uh, or thing that we think is safe. And we've gradually suppressed all these little truths inside of us along the way. If you've just joined us, we're talking with the author of Unbounded, Journey to Your Within, and it's uh, Aaron McCormick. He is our guest. I, I want to comment on uh, the photograph of you on the cover of your book. You look very serious. You look very focused. Uh, you look, uh, and I'd even say you do have a calmness about you in that photograph. What was going on at the time uh, of, of, this, uh, of this particular uh, photo session, if you can tell us, or that time of your life when the book was getting close to being completed and then published and then put out on the bookshelves for people to buy? What, what, was, uh, what was going on with Aaron at that time? Because like I said, you, you've got that, that wonderful gaze out at the, the viewer. Interesting question. Never had that one. <laughs> I... That was an accidental picture. Uh, did not expect to use it. Uh, there's some things about it I really don't like. I don't like that the my suit jacket is caught on my sleeve. If I ever release it again, I'll Photoshop it where it's either fully over the watch or halfway on the watch. But that just irritated the heck out of me. Um, but uh, we were just going through various looks, and and um, at the time, you know, I've never done a professional photo shoot for myself like this before, so. I'm, I'm a little bit out of my element, at least in experience. Uh, but personally, I was on a, um, a tremendous journey of trusting uh, myself, uh, trusting more, more so. Um, in various parts of my life, I followed my truth, but th that was a period where, and still is a period where I am more having to um, believe not having to, but and I'm actually receiving evidence of the accuracy of following and believing in that unseen force that's inside of you and following that instinct, despite how fearful it may seem. I mean, that, that was a pretty significant undertaking writing this book. I'd never written a book before, didn't really consider myself a writer, although um, I am. You know, that's a title mm -hmm. and I don't do titles at all. Like I don't have, I'm extremely fluid. I've never called people my best friend. I mean, Rich, if I can go into details about how I just don't do titles, mm -hmm. that's not a deliberate philosophy. Like I don't say, I'm going to decide I don't do titles. I just naturally don't. <laughs> so, uh, so I've never really considered myself a, a writer. Um, and I was, uh, you know, I, the way I would describe it is like on some of these sci-fi movies where you're walking, I think it might be, be the matrix mm. and the, the bricks are falling into place as you walk. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So something like that, uh, metaphorically speaking is the space I was in. And I, I just want to mention this, uh, this too, because it alludes to a question you asked me before about, um, when did I become consciously aware of some of these things? The breadcrumbs throughout your life have always made you aware. You just hadn't stepped into it. So um, in high school, I was the only 
male in my co-op work program. You know, when you have enough credits as a senior, you get to work half a day and then you go off to work and get credits from your job, right? Yeah. All the other uh, dudes in my senior class, they were in distributed education, which is where you work for either a UPS or retail or whatever, something like that, or they're in some other co-op. I was in office education, which was mainly about keyboarding, right? Typing. So in my yearbook, I'm surrounded by 20 girls. <laughs> I'm the only male in the typing class. Um, and, and I'm completely, I'm completely straight <laughs> uh, and very athletic, very masculine in all these other ways. But I knew this is 94, the year I graduated high school. I'm like, typing is like speaking. You have to be able to speak language, right? So I knew that was going to serve me. So I did it regardless, you know, or, um, you know, in so many aspects of my life, I've, I was the only, uh, and, but I wasn't the only that knew or had a desire. I was just the only one to do something with it. Like mm -hmm. even in, in class or in grad school, I would ask the questions that needed to be asked because it's my $120,000 and it's my development and I'm, and, and I'm paying in time a huge amount, two years of my life, and I'm paying a huge amount of money. Um, and I want, I'm here to expand. Yeah. You'd be surprised how at 35 or 37 is the average age of an, MBA, of an executive MBA graduate or um, uh, enrollee uh, candidate, I should say. 37 is the average age. We're all executives. You know, it's like we're still in grade school where you're afraid to ask the question. You don't want to look dumb. Yeah. So. 75% of the class loved me for the questions. They, I'm not saying they loved me personally, but right. they loved the questions, right? They're yeah. like, man. And then the others were like kind of pissed or irritated that I either had the balls to ask the question <laughs> and they didn't. It's like, you can too. I mean, obviously I'm just living my own truth here. I'm not trying to worry. You You guys don't do anything for me in my personal life. Um, so we fall into two big buckets, Richard, when we're born, and it's important to know, I shouldn't use the word bucket, that sounds confining. <laughs> we're animated kind of in two ways. When we're born, we have a bias mm -hmm. in our physical form. And once, and neither one is right or wrong because it's how you chose to show up for your eternal you know, ex expansion. It's what you wanted to experience in this life. Cause we're all actually in the same bucket, if you will, if you want, or in the same paradigm of light and connection to source or an extension or part of source, or we are God, who knows what that is. But in this form, we choose how we show up. And here are those two ways. We are either uh, naturally fixed mindset or naturally growth mindset. And you can see this in yourself. You can see this in your children. You can see it in everyone you've ever come to know. You'll know within a short period of time, which one their bias probably is. And what that all means is, um, here's how you can see it even in babies or in very young, small ones. When, if you ever had a three or four year old or five or whatever age child and you uh, reprimand them, scold them, coach them. Like I, I coached my son's three-year-old T-ball team mm -hmm. uh, and I played Little League Baseball. Some that make a mistake or that need help or need to improve, they will attack themselves because they will assume that the reprimanding you're giving may, means that they suck <laughs> or it means that they, it's like a fixed thing. It's like, oh, I suck, I hate this game, blah, blah, blah. It's the extreme. And then the, the naturally growth mindset kids, 
focus on that specific thing that they did wrong and they'll go, okay, shoot, you know, I'll do better next time. Or, or they just keep trying. They don't equate it to, I won't ever do better. And this plays out throughout our life, right? Uh, where we tend to have a, we tend to have a bias and we can expand to become more fixed, but we start uh, fixed or growth. It's almost like um, another analogy for it is, are we more likely to be mind driven or heart driven? And this goes also into left hand, right hand. It doesn't mean that every left handed person is spiritual and creative and art driven per se, because that can be managed out, you know, the same way. It doesn't mean that every right handed person won't be connected to heart and highly because there's plenty of very creative and heart driven people that are right handed. But it's just another interesting um, parallel where where we we're either going to be um, overly concerned about and this applies to me and my youth. I can look back and see this and maybe you can too, Richard. When you're little, we all have a fear of being ostracized or you know ridiculed. So there's always the peer pressure. Some have that fear more than others, right? There are some that will conform at all costs. And you have others that will fill that fear and they don't want to be ridiculed, but they also are just not going to, they look and they're like, I'm just not going to go along with that. And so they just, they may not. So those are more like, those happen to be more connected to heart. So that's why we have people like me um, who, for whatever reason, I didn't get this way by uh, reading any books or um, being told to be this way. Or like, I, I'm surprisingly, it's kind of a paradox. I'm writing a book, yet I'm not a reader of books. <laughs> like, like, what's up with that? Um, well, my antenna is super duper strong naturally mm. to my truth because whatever somebody else's truth was has nothing to do with me. Um, I can, I do learn from others and I've learned a great deal from others, but that's usually technically speaking. Like I need to technically learn how to fix a car, or how to be a doctor or how to, so I take in information in that respect, but in terms of the connection within, it's naturally there. If you have been, and hence my journey, right? All these random things that flies in the face of reason that I've lived through and that I've kind of pushed myself through with a lot of pain, by the way. So it's not been a perfect cakewalk by any stretch. Um, and, and, you know, so if you, why do we have books then for this kind of thing? And here's the point I'll make. Most of us are more mind driven because the fear of upsetting the things that we've been taught scare us more than going against our inner truth because we reason this way. And I've done some of this too. We've all done it to varying levels. We reason that if I go against this expectation or ideal or something in society, I'll have these visible repercussions. Mm. I'll get fired. I'll have this, I'll have all these things. But if I just dilute a little bit and bend and suppress what I, what my gut says, where's the physical outward repercussion is done. Yeah. And so it becomes easy to just gradually do more and more of that. So that's what we tend to all naturally be to varying degrees. And so the more you are that way, the more you need a counteracting physical reason, reasoning or books or ideals that help you intellectually connect the dots and go, oh, that's how this works. Or that's how this can serve me. So that's why the book isn't my own rhetoric, right? It's not, uh, it's not meant to be, it's not a biography. 
It's meant to take you down your own experiences and question your own energy in those experiences and question or help you see what you may not have noticed about the pattern of what those things have been trying to show you so that you then for yourself can say, this is how this was good for me. I now can see how in my unique situation, how that served me, or this is, you know, so it really is meant to become your own truth through your mind to connect you to the heart where you were not, where you may not have naturally have been focused on the heart. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does indeed. And and it interestingly enough uh, raises uh, an interesting point for me <clears throat> that you, you t- commented on earlier about uh, sort of not going with the flow of society and so forth. I was working for 15 years in the 80s, early 90s for a Christian radio station. And uh, I was asking all kinds of questions and the answers I was getting just didn't make any sense to me. Just, <laughs> right. They just weren't lot. See, I, right. I'm a firm believer that uh, if there is a God, God, uh, that some guy up there with a big long beard and white hair and what have you, he gave me this brain and for a reason. The, for a reason. And it even says in the Old Testament, let us come and reason together. Well, how do you do that? You do that with your brain. So I'm asking right. all of these questions. And at one point, someone said to me, why don't you just read the founding fathers of the faith? They were asking these questions, too. And that that first then that raised two more questions. Who set them up as the arbiters of the faith? Number one. You know, who the heck are they? So what? They ask these great questions. Why is it that these guys get to 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 be up on the pedestal and have statues made of them? And uh, the rest of us who are peasants, you know, the laity, if you will. Oh, no, we just have to follow along. Then the second thing was, okay, most of these founding fathers I've never heard of before. So that must mean and I said this with absolutely no ego, total humility. I said, then that must put me in the same category with them. So I must be in the same category as the arbiters of the faith, you know, but um, I I also would say, and if they want to brand me on the forehead with a giant H for heretic, I will wear it proudly (laughs) because the answers that I am now uh, getting for the questions that I'm asking today make, at least they make more sense than uh than than all of this and i i have to share an ex uh, you know you talk about wanting to belong back in the 90s i actually became a member of the baha'i faith for a year and a half and at the end of the year and a half i chose to leave for the very reason that you just mentioned and i felt that was not that wasn't fair to them nor myself i had joined under what i considered false pretenses you join a particular philosophy, if you will, because you believe in that. It, it rings true for you, not because you're being accepted and embraced by the people who are members, although that's a nice extra. Sure. And the woman who I was talking with on the phone says, that's fine. We will. Re- and this is funny. She said that we will remove your name from the rolls. You won't receive any more mailings and you can come back anytime. Unlike when I went to the Catholic Church, the rectory that I was raised in, and I took a letter saying I would like to have my name removed from the uh, from the rolls. She said, we'll put it in your file. And I thought, you and the FBI? Really? Okay, fine. You know, I just thought that was hilarious. Um, But I think that's one of the things that people really have to um, uh, have to understand. And it's epitomized by the words I said to my eldest sister in the kitchen 
as my mother was making Thanksgiving dinner one year. And we were having a little conversation, and she was in one of those boxy philosophical uh, uh, religions of, of Christianity, sects of Christianity. And I told her, I said, look, my beliefs of yesterday are not my beliefs of today, are not my beliefs of tomorrow, because I'm still alive. I'm still experiencing. I'm still growing and et cetera, et cetera. To which my mother threw us out of the kitchen and said, you don't hold that kind of a conversation in here, especially on Thanksgiving and so on and so forth. <laughs> she didn't have a problem with the conversation. It just wasn't supposed to happen there. But that's what we're trying to share with people is if what you believe, if what you have been taught, and it was epitomized greatly by a gentleman I interviewed, a Christian musician and author, uh, John Fisher, back in the 80s. And he was sitting, he was telling me about uh, one of his books and how uh, the book kind of came about because he was sitting at his writer's garret, if you were looking out the window in his new New England home. He'd moved from California where he had grown up in the Jesus movement. And he began to ask this question, which was amazingly profound. Is what I believe, what I have been told to believe, or what I believe, what I have chosen, what resonates with me, etc.? And I thought, wow, you're not just going along with the party line. And that really impressed me. Right. Uh, it also gave me hope for the future of those who are uh, who have these different uh, doctrinal and theological beliefs based upon whatever they want to base it on, uh, including the book, because it said they were not willing to just sit there and vegetate and just to take in everything that everybody else was saying. I've even had on this program in some some years ago uh, uh, an evangelical born again Christian Bible believer. Who practice? Are you ready for this one? Who practices out-of-body experiences? Hmm. Now you show me where, and I've read the Bible several times. I don't see anywhere where it says, and the believers can leave their body and come back, and leave their body and come back, and it's okay. Right. Uh, and he says, you know, it's what I do, and it gives me uh, whatever it gives him. It serves him. So when people start having different experiences, and my mother asked me about that once, Richard, have you ever had any supernatural experiences? I would say, well, if I have, I'm not aware of them because it just, you know, it, if it happened, it, it was is like being in the right place at the right time is what I've always said about my life. Yeah. Uh, okay, if that's a supernatural experience, a spiritual experience, I'll take it, you know. It was wonderful. The people I have met and the experiences I've had, I could consider some of those supernatural or spiritual experiences. Um, very, very interesting. Aaron McCormick's my guest. AaronMcCormick.com is the, is the uh, website. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. Please do me a favor. Don't go away. Tell me your story. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thank you so much for staying with us here on the program with uh, myself and uh, and Aaron McCormick. Aaron, I have to say, obviously, uh, you are a very well-educated individual who um, you're, you, you speak so eloquently about your, uh, and, and your, uh, by your own admission, uh, uh, as far as not having read a lot of books, 
Okay, which is where we get a lot of our our uh, language skills as well as communicating with one another, right? Um, and, and, and you, you are so, uh, well-versed obviously in that, which that's one of the things that I share with nervous guests, you know, cause they're going, well, what are you going to ask me? I don't, you don't have any questions. Da, 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 da. I said, look, if you know anything about nuclear physics, we'll talk nuclear physics. Okay. But if you don't, let's just talk about what you know. Now, someone said to me not long ago, speaking of the difference between beliefs and knowing Aaron, A belief is a lie. The reason is because it's not based on, say, science. It's not based on any facts. That's why I find it fascinating when I hear Christians uh, saying, oh, we found them the ark. We found uh, Noah's ark. Well, so what? That has nothing to do with your faith, your belief. Okay. Uh, There are those who say there is really no evidence of God. Well, that's up to individual interpretation, in my opinion. That's not something that I could justify for you or you for me. That's your right. experience, and that's mine, right? Right, and frankly, everything is is up to interpretation because one of the key premises of the book is that you are the CEO of your life. <laughs> I mean, you whether your religion, your mate, everything that you think is so instrumental to your life, all of it is only interpreted by you. So like two people can have the exact same experience be interpreted two different ways, right? We all know this. Mm -hmm. The moment you're born, you're the only one that experiences that. And even if two people die at the same time in a crash or some tragic event, their experience of death is their own. So it's like, it's a hundred percent you. Um, so, to how much, to what degree do you really want to point as to the cause and effect of your life? It may make you feel better to pass blame. In the moment, it may make you feel better because you, you don't have to face your reality or the truth of your lack of action or your lack of listening to yourself. But once you're past that moment of, I have an excuse, so therefore I feel better, you still are in the reality of the result of that passing of the blame. So day after day after day, you remain in that jacked up relationship or you remain in that career that you really hate spending your most valuable asset, which is time, which is way more valuable than money. I mean, exponentially more valuable than money. And yet here we have so many people think that they're broke. And I give this analogy, Richard, this is not in the book. I think about the tragic funeral that we all went to, the whole world went to at the beginning of this year. Yeah. And that, that helicopter crash where a it's a funeral we all went to because we all knew the man. We didn't know him personally, but we all happened to have heard of him and known him. The world had heard of him, basically. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's other lives that are just as important. But my point is, everybody had a bit of a funeral of a man and his daughter and the other people. In that moment, what's the value of every funeral? It is the reflection on your life so that you can maximize your time because you're not in that situation. So you appreciate more. That's what all darkness does. That can be applied to this 2020 year where there's all sorts of darkness. That's we'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. But if you were just ask this question to millions of women who might have reasoned before this tragedy, boy, wouldn't it be great? Like single women in particular, man, if Kobe were my husband, Mm. Wouldn't it be great if I would love to trade places with Vanessa? 
nobody in their right mind who loves their family is thinking that after that crash, the tragedy she experienced, the pain, our heart is all going out to her. And yet she's still worth mm-hmm. whatever, 400 million, 500, whatever yeah. that worth is. If you won't trade places with her, if you know you could have a genie do that and be without your love of your life and your child for four or 500 million, that means whatever current state you're in, your net worth, whatever challenging issues you're having with employment, you're actually worth 400 million, right? Because you won't trade places, you're worth billions. So because you still are here, you have your loved one and you have, what do you have with them? You have days with them, you have time with them. Mm-hmm. So you're trading four or $500 million for time and you've got it right now. So the question now becomes, are you burning it? Like literally burning money. What are you doing with your time? If, it's, if there's no connection to your heart, um, if there's no real joy, no creative power, nothing deeply fulfilling in what we do. This is, by the way, I'm not lecturing you. <laughs> I, am, I, I'm not you. I mean, the, anyone like mm-hmm. all of us. Mm-hmm. If we're if we're going through spending the biggest section of our time, which is the working hours, because mm-hmm. then we go home and we are up for a couple hours and then we sleep. Mm-hmm. So the majority of our life or time, which is infinitely more than money, worth billions of dollars. If we're doing it, if we're spending it on something that has, there's no hard connection, it's literally like burning billions. And nobody would think it's smart to just burn four or $500 million or a billion dollars. So that's just a small example. This is not in the book. That's just a small example of how many things, how many lessons are right under our nose in our own experience. And we just haven't applied it so that it can, it can allow us to take a different course or awaken. Awaken just means to change or to to die, so to speak, in how you once viewed something and you view it completely different now. And so it's like you're, you know, the veil is lifted and now you're you're gonna be acting differently. I have to say that in uh, all of the jobs I have had since I started working back in uh, I want to say 72 when I became a freshman in actually eighth grade when I started delivering newspapers. That was literally my very first job. And I absolutely loved it. And if it were still available today and I was uh, independently wealthy, I actually would go back to that job because of the people that I met, the experiences that I had. It was it was it was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, there were, it wasn't it, that lucrative. I mean, for a kid growing up, that wasn't too bad. But uh, being your own boss, getting out every morning or evening, depending upon the, the release of the paper, uh, to, you know, learning how to toss a newspaper folded and rubber band up to the third floor in the front through the front door that was open and into the lap of the customer. Now, I did that one time and wow. and the guy, he wasn't upset. He says, what a great shot. I, I landed it right in his lap up there on the third floor. Right. That's uh, awesome. But that was, was what's that? I used to be a paper boy as well. Oh, really? And, and you know, what's ironic is. In a sense, you're you're doing another flavor of that. If you enjoyed the people connecting with people or delivering a message through the paper, now you are in the business of delivering messages. Yeah. People. But I talk about in the book too, in the business section. In fact, there's a, there's a section called "Empathy Can Make You Millions." That is the case with me. That's why at 22 or three years old, I was making three, four, half a million dollars a year wow. uh, and selling big ticket software to the C-suite, CIO, CEO, 
uh, CMO, chief marketing officer, all the captains of industry, mm -hmm. I'm selling multi-million dollar solutions to, and they got kids my age, right? So, and I didn't have a degree. So what was it? One of the key traits was empathy. Yeah. Uh, but the point is I talk in the business section about how um, what you do and how you enjoy it in your personal time, like you just said, if I had, you know, if you were wealthy, mm -hmm. you still do the job now. How do people have dream jobs? What makes that possible? So there's a, in the business section, there's a chapter called your dream job. And it gets into how do you end up doing it? How, despite you being 40 years old or 50 years old or whatever, there's plenty of examples of people that change mm -hmm. at, in their much later in life and they're deeply fulfilled. And because we're energy, and by the way, money is energy, um, we attract results that are actually more fulfilling because when you pursue fulfillment, that's what you draw, uh, both in the experience and then eventually, I, I explain exactly how. So this is not all philosophical, esoteric stuff. I'm a business guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've been in business for 20 years and I've done startups, I've created companies, uh, made huge amounts of money. I'm, I'm bridging because I'm explaining how the spirituality or that unseen force has is the power that brings you to these places that you look at others and you go, how did you get there? Or, you must be better than me or you must be blessed. Nonsense. They're just doing something with that force instead of suppressing it and following all the other external ideals. So that's the purpose of journeying to your within. Well, one of the other aspects of this, too, is when you talk about the different jobs that you have done and the, and, and the different jobs I have done, uh, as I've said before, I have felt from a very early age that I've always been in the right place at the right time. Uh, and uh, this industry, broadcasting and production and all of this stuff with audio, uh, I have always loved. I've been doing it since I was 19. And yet there have been several jobs that I have taken that had absolutely nothing to do with broadcasting. I worked in a warehouse filled with light bulbs with a bunch of blind people of which I was a member of that group of blind people. Um, I worked for a multi-level marketing company because they said, well, you're, you're recording our, our little cassettes that we want to send out to, to people, but we'd like to have you in-house. I think it was an, a cost-saving measure on their part, which was fine. And there were times when I would look at that and say, what, is, what does this have to do with broadcasting? I, I, I need to get out of here. And then I began to start taking a look at not just the tasks, but the lessons that I was learning in that respective workplace and realizing that maybe not everything that I am doing here is going to translate over into a broadcast position, a, a radio job. Right. But there will be some things. So I've taken on the philosophy that there is no wasted time if you can change your perspective and look for those elements that connect with your dream job. Now, right. I will tell you that my father told me this and then I'll have you uh, elaborate. And he said this to me probably in my teen years uh, in high school. He said to me, Richard you need to find a job that you love doing because you're going to be doing it for a long time. I don't want you to get stuck like I did. Now at the time 
my father did not have his, his computer programming degree. Shortly thereafter, he went to the local community college in Phoenix and he got his programming computer programming degree. And I remember that because he would bring home reams of fan fold paper and punch cards, which is what they did back in the seventies. So that's something that I, I really took to heart. Uh, my dad doesn't consider himself a wise man. He considers me a wise guy, but that's a whole nother story. But, uh, and he's 89 this year, 89 years young, still going strong. I, I believe, uh, my mother, 86 and every so I'll give a, give a phone call to him and we'll chat for a while. I'll send him, uh, I'll actually go on Amazon and I'll find some CDs of artists, musicians, singers that he loved like Marty Robbins and Glenn Campbell and so on and so forth and send those to him and uh, he loves them because because it's i think it's great memories but talk to us a little as i go off on a rail here talk to us a little bit about that aspect of uh there really isn't any wasted time even if uh you're working in an ice cream shop and you'd really rather be working in it well it it all serves you to your point i, I completely agree and that's a key theme woven throughout the book culminating toward the end where you really connect dots on how everything has actually served you, which making that connection serves you even greater because you start to lose fear of future supposed disappointments or future supposed uh, injustices or discrimination, since that's in the news a lot right now, or whatever the thing is that, you know, uh, being manipulated or taken advantage of by someone of the opposite sex or someone in any relationship, you lose all those fears when you when you really realize your point you just made, which is that it's all serving you. There's nothing really wrong or wasted. If if these giant planets that are millions of miles apart move with such precision that we are when we're tiny comparatively, we're setting our watches to them. If there's that kind of precision at that level, isn't it true that the smaller something is, the more precise it is? Mm. That's why point guards are quicker and more precise than the centers, right? To talk about basketball. <laughs> yeah. That's why you think you're moving fast, but you will never catch a fly with your hand, right? Because I remember on Spider-Man when, when the guy punches him and he does like this and looks at the fist and looks at the guy and all that because he's got the re- reflexes of a tiny spider, right? So the point is, if all those things up there could be that precise, then what makes us think that a mere 8 billion of us on this planet aren't precisely you know, intersecting and going on this little dance that is all how it's supposed to be. And part of journeying to your within is realizing the perfection of all the crap. I'm trying to avoid cursing because when I get into it, it's like, I want to say all the, you know, I hear like you. All, all the crap of your life that you thought was crap, it's, it's serving you. So, so now let's talk about like, how do you make these connections? Well, similar to you, I thought I wanted to work on cars because I love them. I'm in high school. I I thought I was going to take auto shop, but I worked on uh, cars with my uncle in the Chicago winters. Uh, It it was not enjoyable. (laughs) So I realized (laughs) I won't be a mechanic. Let me, let me, I I will bet you that anybody who came in for an oil lube and filter who had been traveling at least 10 to 20 miles, you loved that job because at least you had the warmth there in the wintertime. Well, that's my point. I never did it for a living. I, oh. I worked on them like I did it like in the, in the garage of <laughs> yeah. my uncle, my first little piece of junk car, that kind of thing. And, and I realized this is not for me. And then I thought maybe programming, computer yeah. programming. The world is going to computers. So, and, and again, this is ex, this is mental stimuli. Mm-hmm. 
what you're told, I'll make money, I'll have a safe job, blah, blah, blah. So I, I did that and I you know, took a class in, in high school, turned out some programs and everything. I'm like, this is for the birds. This is not. And I realized I need to be communicating with people. I need, either need to be training, teaching. Uh, psychology was out because I couldn't go to college due to my religious background. Um, uh, people said I should be an attorney. That was out. Couldn't go to college. Teaching in a school was out, but training maybe and sales. So when I graduated high school, I was placed at a bank full time, which was a, a glamour job for a 17 year old in a corporate environment with a tie working downtown Chicago. And I promptly left it because the area I was placed in was cash management, where after all the deposits are made at ATMs and all this and they're brought it's brought into a room. And you essentially are making sure that what they said they deposited, they get deposited. Mm -hmm. So you're literally in a, in a room with some of the people, maybe, and you're just dealing with money. And I'm like, nope. Even though that paid me good money for my age, sure. I could have moved up in the bank. Because again, this goes back to how we are what we are. I'm like, how is this working toward, like you said about broadcasting, how is this working toward what I know I ultimately should be doing in some shape or form? So I left. People thought I was crazy, other high school friends and all that, because they, they thought I was one of the few that got a cool job like that right out of high school. Um, and then I started trying to get sales jobs and I did outside sales for like a paging company, which turned into the, my first IT sales job at like 19, where I was really selling complex IT solutions. I learned that stuff quick. I was going to corporations and three or four years later, four or $500,000 a year is what I'm earning. My point is, you know, when... <laughs> When you're following that instinct, despite the so-called safety or lack of fear uh, of of doing something that everyone else expects, I say lack of fear because, oh, I'm not scared when I do what everyone expects me to do or what society says is safe. There's no, no fear in that. So it feels safe. It feels the opposite to follow your truth. But yet that's where your heart soars. And where your heart soars, you're better at, you excel. This is, this is nothing new to any of us, but how what is the lesson? Or what is the, the way that this enters the mind? When does it click? That's based upon you. That's, that's your journey. And the last thing I'll say on that to your point of no waste of time, Richard, is none of us are actually really saving or changing anyone. Hmm. They have decided when to change themselves. You just happen to be the physical stimulus, the physical manifestation of something that seems to start or trigger a change. Like whether, you, you know, some, you know, Tony Robbins written a bunch of books, whoever you are, whomever the person that is seems so inspirational, whoever gets changed by that, by my book, by Tony's, by whoever's book, they didn't really change from the book. If the book wasn't there, their soul was going to, at some given point in time, they were going to get it from another source or they're going to wake up and just be different. Just like nobody made me decide to leave the thing that I had been born into and leave my entire universe of friends and family. There was zero external input in terms of whatever yeah. that made my energy shift. So we are our own cause and effect. Absolutely. That said, we are partnered with others. You and I have chosen to partner at some point along this journey of life where we would spend an hour or so together. And, and that's a physical connection that has, that has been made. But at a soul level, we're extremely fluid and we are going to be what we're going to be. 
Um, yeah. We're just colliding with each other through nice intersections. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's uh, it is one thing that I have found so interesting in this uh, in this wonderful process is I have viewed my guests uh, and I, I this is a metaphor, mind you. OK, um, today is Christmas morning and I am opening up a package called Aaron McCormick at AaronMcCormick.com. And I get to uh, ex- uh, I get to find out a little bit more about him and his world and his philosophy and what makes him tick and what has brought him to this place where he and I are now conversing and having a great conversation about uh, this book called uh, entitled Unbounded, and uh, that's that has been my perspective for several decades. Now, um, being sixty this year. Having turned 60, I don't feel it. I mean, I look in the mirror and maybe I can, maybe I can see 60 in the camera there. Maybe, I don't know. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, obviously with the gray and the beard, uh, it's a little easier, I suppose. But if I was clean shaven, like you, you, you have been, you are where I was several years ago. By the way, this beard is a, is, is the result of an injury, strangely enough. Hmm. Another By story. Yes. You can see gray in my beard on my, on my book cover. So I, I've got a little gray in my beard too. I see that. <laughs> But I, I, it's like, I just don't feel, it's, it's like what you were just talking about, about not buying into, not living the life that society tells you you should live because of all of the different circumstances or all of the different categories that they put you into. Uh, I was legally blind from birth until 36 when I had a lens implant. Now I'm driving. Um, my wife is dyslexic. And also had polio as a child, but she's walking around doing pretty doggone well. And she reads out loud. As a matter of fact, just the other night, she wanted to read to me this uh, this uh, poem from the front of a book called I Remember. It's about uh, Mary Magdalene. And uh, <clears throat> and she and I just let her do her thing. And ever since I've known her uh, from the very beginning, if she struggles, I'm not going to help her. Not that if she asks me, I wouldn't. Certainly I would. But if she's struggling with the word and I know what it is, I'm not going to offer it up because it's going to help her more if she gets it herself than if I do that. So that's one of the things that is so interesting. I'm 60. So what? And besides, I have another 40 years to go. I have to outlive my great grandmother who lived to be 100. Okay. so I got another lifetime left. And I hope that Christmas morning comes more often. And it becomes more lucrative and it becomes more of a, a travel thing as well. I mean, Zoom is great. I, hey, I, I'm glad to be able to see your beautiful face, your smiling face, your very expressive eyes. Uh, I, I would venture that you're pretty dynamic up on the up on the stage uh, 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 behind a podium sharing with people. Have you been doing a lot of uh, uh, le- um, lectures or speeches or things of this nature? Uh, since you've uh, uh, come into your own, especially with the book uh, Unbounded? I have, yes. Obviously, not very much because the book released at the beginning of, the, of this year. And then you know what happened also at the beginning of this year. So yeah. everything, well, all my speaking has mainly been on the business side mm-hmm. before there was a book. Yeah, Right. But when you get up there in front of, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands, do you... Do you get nervous? Because I will tell you that I've only done it a few times in front of live people. 
Whereas I don't know how many people are listening to this. Could be hundreds of thousands or millions. And it's like when I, I used to teach broadcasting back in Phoenix. And when I got up in front of that group of, ki- of, of uh, young adults, because this was a vocational uh, class after high school, you know, post-grad, I was just energized, mainly because, guess what? I got to talk about something that I really, I really love. Does that come over you as well when you are, whether it's sometimes even if you're doing a Zoom lecture, maybe you and you can see all of the people. It's not quite the same as in person. But is that is that a sensation that you're familiar with? It is. uh, And I've been speaking, um, you know, publicly almost all my life. And I would say when it's a performance, you're nervous. And there's a big difference there when you are performing you're in the mind you're in the you you're you're trying to impress you want certain outcomes when you're in the heart space so when your desire is to help the nervousness is gone because you're you're less on the ego side and you're just you're there to offer whatever is in you if it's in you it, it comes out if it's not in you it's okay to not know or to so your motive is in the right place. So I've seen that about me. So there's been times I'm really nervous because I've allowed myself to be too far in the mind. And, but, but when I am focused on the mission and the mission is to connect to each and in, each individual person um, and to help, no, then you're right. It, yeah. I'm energized. There's no nervousness. It, I mean, it's just, <laughs> that's the only description I can give. I was asked to speak in front of a group uh, at the uh, UCSB uh, communications division. Now, communications, when I was a kid growing up in high school and getting ready to go to college, MassCom, that had to do with broadcasting or journalism, okay? Not today. <laughs> that means something totally different. But I, I went in there, and I, I just absolutely loved being in front of uh, these college kids. And I was probably 49 maybe in my fifth, early 50s, and um, it just felt so good. But what was frustrating was when you share with someone who has no points of reference particular elements. For example, I asked the group if they knew what syntax was. I, thought, I said, because it's extremely important. And they said, is that the tax a hooker pays? And I said, uh, no, a nice joke, but no. And I said, syntax is the proper placement of the characters necessary to, in the case of computer programming, to get the program to work properly. If one character is either out of place or reversed or missing, the program will not work. And so I would bring it forward to how I believe words have power. And when you place certain words in your book, in a particular order, in a particular paragraph and page and chapter, and then, of course, the collective book, you are trying to convey a particular intent. What's that intent with this book? I guess the intent is for everyone to love themselves more by first recognizing themselves the part that they've failed to recognize or have not recognized enough, which is that 
90% of unspoken energy, the subconscious, what really makes you who you are before you've been molded into what you are. So by the time you understand and learn that, you love and appreciate yourself more. If you love and appreciate yourself more, you have less insecurities, division. So the world heals because all conflict externally stems from conflict internally. You don't understand. You are feeling a sense of lack in you or in what you may or may not be getting or in your appearance, someone else looks better. Whatever the case may be, if we all fully understood ourselves and appreciate and loved ourselves beyond what the world tells us is a plus or a minus, the world actually ascends. Ascends meaning the vibrational frequency, like joy is a high on the vibrational chart. These are scientific things, it's not esoteric. If you measure our vibrational frequency and you look at pictures of something you love, a dog or whatever, your vibrational frequency is higher. Look at something fearful, something that makes you feel guilty, insecure, vibration is lower. So the syntax of the book or the goal, the objective of the book, connect and understand yourself in ways you never have before, which increases appreciation for yourself, which helps you then love others more and heals the planet. I mean, that's, that's really what, uh, if I could you know, state the objective, that's the objective. When I first started hearing about the coronavirus, and it's interesting the metaphor that this brings up because the coronavirus, as we've seen at the microscopic level, has these little crowns. So someone was talking about this in reference to the aspect of royalty. Now, not too many people who have contracted this felt all that royal. But what's interesting is the, the perspective that I took when I first started hearing about it in late December of 2019 into uh, January of 2020. And then, of course, California, I think, was the first state to have a case. I think it was, but doesn't matter. From the very beginning, and this may sound very odd to some people, I was extremely optimistic. I was, I was elated. Because when they decided to shut down businesses across the country, right. I said, oh my God, in 60 years of existence... Whenever the influenza hit, they would always do the same thing. Nothing. They would do nothing. And I've been advocating for over 40 years, shut down the airlines and transportation. Two weeks. Just two weeks. They would say, oh, no, that would be devastating to the economy. Right. As compared to what we're doing now. Really. And if they had done that on both coasts, this apparently is the reason why New York got hit so hard. They shut down air travel from uh, the, the Asian countries to the United States, China in particular, on the West Coast. But they didn't shut it down from Europe, which is where it came from the other direction. And had they done that, we probably wouldn't be where we are today. But we didn't have anybody in charge who knew what the hell they were doing. Right. But I, on another, on another front, have been extremely optimistic, I don't know about you, Aaron, about the incredible opportunities that are out there. We don't even know yet that are out there for people to do some of the things that they, they have been doing. Uh, a look at the, the small mom and pop uh, entrepreneurial ventures 
that have been cropping up across this country, whether it be to make masks, okay, or other, they call PPE, okay, uh, whether it be helping out the elderly, considered to be the most vulnerable in our group. Uh, I even saw a great story. I don't know if you saw this. An elderly woman had a neighbor. Neighbor has a dog. Neighbor wants to help the elderly woman. Uh, so it says, she says, well, why don't you write the list down and then tack it to your door? Go inside. I'll come get the list. I'll go to the store. Da, 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 da. Well, before the woman could tack it to the door, the, her dog went over waited until she put the list in her mouth, in the dog's mouth. Dog took the list back to the next door neighbor who went to the store. When she came back, the dog took the bag of groceries in his mouth over to the elderly woman. Nice. I just, I like, wow, is that not cool that, that the animals know what the hell's going on and they're trying to help too. Yes. What about your perspective in this period in time with this pandemic, with the lockdown, and apparently uh, round two of the lockdown. This is not uh, uh, what they're referring to as the second wave, although it's it's kind of like first wave 2.0. Right. Uh, what about your perspective in terms of the incredible opportunities that are out there for us if we would just open, can I say it this way, our inner eye? Yeah, they're they're tremendous. And some are going to seize those opportunities deliberately, like you just alluded to. And that's great. The good news is I think most, if not all of us, are still going to be taught subconsciously because what scares it, what, what scares you most also grows you mm -hmm. the most. Mm -hmm. And when we're all worried about something like this happening, especially if you are not working right now, and you've stayed in a career that you don't love or job you don't love because, hey, society says, reality says, I got to pay bills and I got to eat. And I, if I just stop this, bad things are going to happen. So like your father even said, I hope you don't be stuck like me. So we call it stuck. Well, when it's a blessing, so to speak, when something happens that causes you to experience it against your will. So mm -hmm. that's part of, I talked earlier about the crazy things that people go through and how that is a key reason that they are something inspirational, something so fulfilling. They doing what they love, whether it's talking on the radio as you do, or whether it's driving a car or whatever it is that's your passion, the darkness often helps them draw in a reality that's so perfect for them or what have you. So I believe we're all going through a collective dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul, if you Google it, if you look it up, it has to do with awakening. It means you go through something that, uh, that you otherwise couldn't imagine or it's super painful. And in that pain comes such expansion and growth and power that on the other side of it, you are significantly better off. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're more calm. You're more at ease. You're more aware of your power. And it's just it's a beautiful thing. The collective dark night of the soul for everybody is you don't have access to distractions externally like you used to. You don't have brand new movies coming out. You don't have socializing like you used to have. You're not focused on what you're going to buy next for fun because you see in the world seem like it's going to hell in a handbasket, if you will. Uh, you know, it, 
you're not thinking about the next material thing you're going to buy. And that gives room for introspection, even if you're not deliberately trying to go within by meditating or, or reading a book or what have you. You can't hide from the lesson that you're learning. And the lesson is everything I thought was safety and serving me, look at it now. So it really isn't. So as long as I'm at the mercy and I don't have safety anyway, to your point, Richard, I might as well do something that actually really feels good or take risks that I otherwise wouldn't have taken. I might as well. So I deeply believe on the other side of this, humanity will be a couple octaves higher in their vibrational frequency. They will follow more important things a little bit more than the external things. I think we're all becoming a little bit more intrinsic versus extrinsic as a result of COVID-19. Aaron, I want to thank you so much. Aaron McCormick for joining us here on uh, Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World and uh, sharing with us not only your story, but also the work that you're doing through Unbounded, a journey to your within, ladies and gentlemen, to your within, because uh, Aaron's already done that. <laughs> still working on it, I'm sure. It's, it's a work in progress for all of us, isn't it? Absolutely. Still doing it. Still doing it. Uh, are there any particular... Uh, uh, is there a particular um, message, maybe you just answered it in the last question that I gave you, um, that you want to impart to our listeners today in regards to what we've been talking about on this program since the front end of it, uh, that we've been talking about since September of last year, about going within? I think the last thing I said was encapsulated a lot. I think if people just recognize that no matter how dark it may seem, it all serves you. In fact, there's a chapter in the book that is how anxiety serves you, how it actually is a blessing uh, and enriches the journey, enriches you. Um, so I think when you combine the last thing I said with this point, I think that is really important and that will help us, it'll help fuel us through the moments where we think that it's really bad and it'll help us be less fearful of future you know, uh, issues or concerns that we have. You know, if I can, if I can make this happen, it would really very re, be very cool that as soon as um, where the, the, the country opens up and we can start moving around again uh, safely and so forth, I would love not only to have you here in Santa Barbara in studio to have this conversation again, to talk more about this, the work that you are doing uh, and have been doing, but also maybe even uh, getting a hold of the last, I don't know, last hundred or 200 guests that we've had and said, hey, come on out to Santa Barbara. We're going to do, a, I don't know, a two-hour roundtable, okay? And the subject is going to be just that, going within and talking about how our experiences during the lockdown, for example, of right. what what we have experienced and, and what we've accomplished on the inside, I mean, yeah, I've, I've cleaned up my studio and I've done those, but that has nothing to do with cleaning up the inner studio, so to speak. <laughs> right. Right. That'd be cool. Yeah. Uh, also, and you're just there in Southern California, so, man, we, we're not that far apart. Uh, hey, I'll meet you halfway on the beach. You know, what mm -hmm. the heck? I also have three final questions for you, but before I ask those, let me uh, mention again, Mc Aaron McCormick, that's with two A's, AaronMcCormick.com is the website. The book is called Unbounded. Unbounded is the title, and it is, of course, about uh, uh, your uh, journey to your within. 
And we certainly hope that you will uh, check out author, artist, entrepreneur, and speaker. We didn't even get into the artist part, which we'll have to have you back again to talk more about that as well, because that has to be something that uh, uh, you influence, that you use as an influence. By the way, I just popped onto your website. That's a lovely red car you're standing in front of. That's <laughs> yes. a that's a beautiful. I bet you it's fast too, huh? <laughs> I uh, I have to tell you that my favorite vehicle has been, um, and I have been driving. I've only been driving since I was 38. Uh, strangely enough, a Chevy Metro, 19, 1998. And I bought it with 53 miles on it. Uh, no, uh, 1,300 miles. 1,300 miles on it. And we drove it to California and back when we were living in Phoenix. And it was getting 55 miles to the gallon. Nice. So <laughs> I, I know it's, it's not a prestige vehicle, but it was one of my favorite vehicles, I'll tell you. Folks, unbounded joy to your within. Again, Aaron McCormick, and the website is AaronMcCormick.com, A-A-R-O-N-M-C-C-O-R-M-I-C-K.com. Aaron, the first of three questions for you, as I like to ask all my guests, you may have answered them sometime during the interview, but I like to ask them directly. The first is, who is Aaron McCormick? Um, Light and love. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Light and love. I've never uh, been asked these. These are my real answers. I never thought about it, but that essentially is what it is. And question number three, for $500 and a brand new car. No. <laughs> More cars. More cars. There you go. Just what you need, huh? Is what is your life's purpose? You know the answer to that. I, I knew that was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, uh, all the above is the same same answer. Uh, and by the way, those things are what we all are. I'm just really actually aware that that's what I am, and that's what we all are. Well, I am thankful that you've been on the program, uh, making us more aware of who we, who and what we really are. And I look forward to having you back on the program in the not-too-distant future, as I say, to continue our conversation. This will be great. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate you having me. I'm Richard Dugan. This has been Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast podcast, Love to Lal.